Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Once again, welcome back to the program. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for consistently tuning in and uh, watching and sharing with your friends what we're teaching. You know, without a doubt, uh, eschatology, book of Revelation, these things are probably some of the most divisive things that could, uh, you know, that people fall out over and fight over. It's amazing to me how, uh, you know, uh, we have people that, uh, you know, every move of God that comes seems like fights the next move of God. It's like, you know, one move fights the next move. And, you know, I, I, think, it's, uh, I think it's just time, though, that we beat our swords and weapons into plowshares and our spears into pruning hooks and quit fighting one another and start joining together. Uh, my particular view here is not to be just uh, fighting anyone, but to submit to you some ideas that help you bring what you believe uh, into proper focus into the time periods and the audience relevance that's being spoken to. One of the main things that I believe I've shared throughout the book of Revelation is that if you see that a whole lot of stuff that you thought was in the future has already been fulfilled, it brings you into the nowness of a lot of stuff that you've been waiting on. Uh, you know, and, and, and I believe one of the things that really, uh, that, uh, you know, uh, when we read, we say, well, eschatology or end time things is not important. But I mean, uh, your views of end times are very important in the sense that however you believe the future to be is what you're going to prepare for. And so, uh, you know, in other words, if you don't believe you're going to live in this house very long, you're not going to fix the roof. And so I think that there's some very real problems in our world that if we don't realize we're going to be here and that we are the salt and the light and the answer to the problems then, uh, you know, things are going to continue to escalate until the church becomes the salt and the light that it was called and ordained to be. And I believe that the answer to the problems of this world are in the kingdom of God and in the people of God. Uh, as I look at different agendas, and I don't even want to be particular in what agenda, but if you, no matter what your cause is, uh, when you see political agendas and things going forward today, uh, you know, it is because, number one, those political agendas are either, they're, 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 they're unified in their purpose, uh, they are well organized, and they are well financed. And can you imagine what would happen if we could get the church to be, first of all, focused on its purpose, find some unity in the midst of that purpose, and then become well-financed, we could turn the world upside down. But instead, we are full of divisions. Uh, it seems almost to me like there's a movement that's almost anti-Christian, anti-giving, anti-God, anti-local church, anti-anything. But, you know, I, I believe that God wants to turn that around because if we'll become focused on our purpose, and that's to be the salt and the light of the earth, we can find some sense of unity, although we don't have to agree on every detail or point. My deal is, you don't even have to believe what I believe about what I'm preaching about end times. I just ask you not to attack me personally. Uh, you know, I'm not your enemy. I'm, I'm on a search for truth and seeking things. And you know, the truth of it is, is that many of the things that I now embrace once made me mad. And I'm probably sure that as we speak some of these things, at first it may make folks mad as they hear some of this, but I have come to find out that even things that I thought, I now preach. And so I'm trying to be patient with people who maybe don't see everything exactly like I do. And, you know, it's amazing to me that in some circles, you know, whenever God began to pour out, you know, His Holy Spirit on people that, you know, some of the denominational churches begin to fight Pentecost. 
Then the Pentecostals begin to fight the Charismatics, and then the Charismatics fought the Word of Faith guys, and then some of the Word of Faith guys want to fight the Grace guys, and now some of the Grace guys want to fight the Kingdom guys, and it's like it's on and on and on. And I just say, let's beat our swords and weapons into plowshares. Let's quit fighting one another and realize that we're called here to be salt and light in the earth. And one of the things that I want to deal with as we talk about the marriage of the Lamb and His bride is that the earth does not belong to the devil and his crowd. The earth belongs to Mr. and Mrs. Jesus Christ. And we have a right, because we are already married to him, to use his name, to execute his purposes in the earth, and to be in the earth what God has called us to be. And what I'm trying want to show you is that these marriages, or this marriage of the Lamb, is not somewhere out in our future. I think we set pretty good uh, stage over the last probably seven or eight programs where we've talked about uh, that right on the heels of the judgment of the great whore is the marriage of the Lamb has come. Now let me just read to you from 19 of Revelation. We'll jump back in here uh, today and just continue to unpack this. It says, And after these things I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and honor and power under the Lord our God. For true and righteous are His judgments, for He hath judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. Now, if you remember, I shared with you in the last segment how that uh, his judgments were upon this apostate harlot, uh, upon this um, uh, great whore, if you will, which was, we showed you, I think, pretty uh, conclusively that it was apostate Israel, and, uh, and, uh, and, and God was bringing upon her uh, the judgments uh, that he promised them uh, throughout the book of Deuteronomy, if you don't obey all the words, these things are going to come upon you. And last segment we showed you how that in her was found the blood of all that were slain on the earth. And I went into several parables last week and talked about the wicked husbandmen in Matthew chapter 21, how these wicked husbandmen, the scribes and Pharisees, when Jesus gave this parable, the Bible said, and the Pharisees perceived that he was talking about them. So they knew that it was relevant to them, and they were saying, you listen, he let out his vineyard to husbandmen. And uh, then he sent his servants to see how is this vineyard doing. Some of them they mishandled, others they beat, some they stoned, some they put in prison. Last but not least, Matthew 21 said, he said, I'm going to send my son, surely they'll receive the son of the owner of the vineyard, but they took him and they killed the son of the owner of the vineyard, saying, listen, we'll kill him, we'll take his inheritance. He said, what do you think is going to happen to these wicked husbandmen? He's going to destroy them, he's going to bring a judgment upon them, and then he's going to take the kingdom from them and give it to a nation producing the fruit thereof. Then we went into Matthew chapter 25 and we showed you how the parable of the sheep and the goats, Jesus said he would come in the glory of his Father. I believe that occurred in 70 AD. We shared much of that. Uh, you know, what we don't understand is a lot of times whenever there are cloud comings, that all through the scripture, especially I believe it is in Psalm 18 where it talks about uh, God appears in the thick darkness and the chariot, the wind becomes his chariot and he comes in the clouds and, and those cloud comings over and over and over throughout the scriptures were symbolic of the Lord coming in judgment on a day of the Lord or a day of judgment of his pronounced judgment. 
Uh, I believe that that's not in our future. I believe Jesus has already separated the sheep from the goats. I'm not saying that there's not uh, a, a judgment yet in chapter 20 of the book of Revelation for the righteous and for the wicked, but uh, I believe that, uh, uh, that what he's talking about here in the book of Matthew is chapter 25. He separated the sheep from the goats. In other words, you are either blood-bought, born-again sheep, He's your shepherd, or you're a goat, and to one he said, enter in, receive the kingdom prepared for you. To the others, he said, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. And so those parables to me are not somewhere out in our distant future. They are what occurred when God drew the dividing line in the sand and says, listen, you're either a sheep or you're a goat. You're either receiving the son or you're rejecting the Son. And those judgments that he talked about and the vengeance that he brought upon them, he said, for true and righteous are his judgments, for he has judged the great whore, Revelation 19 says, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. These were the servants that they killed and wounded and imprisoned in chapter 21. And in chapter 25, he said, I was imprisoned and you didn't visit me. These are the same ones that they had probably wounded, afflicted, and persecuted. And they persecuted them from one city to the next. I mean, I could go into more and more of these parables. And maybe after we're done teaching the book of Revelation, we'll deal with the parables and how they unfold in the light of how the audience he was speaking to uh, is, is understanding this. And when we bring them into the proper context, then all of a sudden these things fit. But as soon as he had ju brought judgment, this is what I want you to see in verse number three. Uh, after he had literally burnt their city, again they said hallelujah, and her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders, this is 19 of Revelation verse four, and the four beasts fell down and worshiped God that sat on the throne saying hallelujah, or amen, hallelujah. And the voice came out of the throne saying, praise our God, all you his servants, and you that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of many thunders, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, is come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he said unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship, and he said, Don't do it, because I'm one of your fellows, uh, servants, the prophets. Now, uh, let me come back and uh, again uh, bring, begin to uh, uh, deal with a... Uh, uh, another piece of scripture that I think fits in perfect, perfect harmony and context with this, and that's in Matthew 22. Now, we remember, and I'm going to begin with Matthew 22, verse number 1, but uh, if you remember last week, and again, I just reiterated some of that a few moments ago, Matthew 21 talks about the wicked husbandman. It talks about him judging those serpents for killing the son of the owner of the vineyard. But now we're going to come in chapter 22, and we're going to talk about the parable of the king's son and the king's son being married. Now, I think this is some incredible stuff here. It says, And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables. Now, remember again, the audience that he was talking to, just a few minutes above these verses, these scribes and Pharisees and religious leaders perceived that Jesus was talking about them. That's the context. 
Again, we see this connected again in Revelation chapter 19, that upon that generation would come the blood of all the martyrs from the blood of uh, Zacharias, or from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zacharias would come on, Jesus said, that generation. So this stuff, it's time setting for this wedding is not way out in our distant future. We are already married to him, folks, and I'm going to continue to show that to you over the next several weeks. But this parable begins to talk about the marriage of the king's son. And Jesus answered, spake unto them again by parables, and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king, which made a marriage for his son, <laughs> and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. And again he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed. All things are ready. Come unto the marriage. But they made light of it, and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants, and entreated them spitefully, and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, that he sent forth his armies, and destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which are bidden were not worthy. Go therefore into the highways, and as many as you shall find, bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all, as many as they found, both good, or both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king, when the king came in to the, see the guest, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in thither, not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to his servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. So they went out to the disciples with the Herodians, saying, Master, we know that thou art true. And he came out to, uh, they came out to entrap him. Now, if you can't see the fulfillment of this fitting perfectly again, with what we've shared out of the book of Revelation, that the marriage of the king's son, first of all, is not somewhere out in our distant future. God was inviting the people of Israel when he sent his son Jesus to receive their Messiah, to receive their husband, to receive this new marriage contract, which I believe is signified by this new covenant. And they are entering into or have the opportunity to be enter into this wedding chamber. Remember, I shared in the last one how John the Baptist was the friend of the bridegroom that introduced the bridegroom to the bride. And so here we have Jesus on the scene uh, who's about to receive a bride. And so the king's uh, son, you know, he sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding and they would not come. I believe that the servants that he sent forth was the apostles and prophets that we see throughout the New Testament and uh, even throughout the Old Testament that were coming forth and they were messengers saying, all things are now ready, come, you know, and join yourselves together. Uh, they were there, I believe, to, uh, to bid them to this wedding feast. You know, I, I, I'll get there probably in greater detail at the latter part of the book of Revelation, but the book of Revelation ends with an invitation. The Spirit and the bride say, come. We have been invited into this covenant, not just somewhere out in our future, but it has 
we were invited into this covenant when it was inaugurated in birth 2,000 years ago, but the moment we're born again, we're brought into this great, uh, if you will, corporate bride of Christ who is now the church made up of both Jew and Gentile. I don't think he threw them all away, but the ones who were believers were separated as sheep and goats, whether it's Jew, Gentile, or whatever ethnic background they were. Jesus broke down this middle wall of partition, and that's what part of the new covenant is about, is to make out of this bride a people out of every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. So he invited them, and he sent apostles, he sent prophets, he sent his son, he sent John the Baptist to invite them to the wedding. And, uh, and, and, and uh, you know, he said that, you know, the, the, the fattening and the oxens are killed. The supper is ready. You can come in. To me, when I think about the oxen and the fattenings is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is what made us accepted and brought into this covenant is that the calf has been killed. The feast is now ready. And one of the things that's part of the celebration of the marriage supper of the lamb that to me is on the menu is lamb. We eat lamb and lamb is part of... Uh, Man, our, our, I believe our, our covenant meal, when we think about communion even, it's part of the covenant meal. It's part of living in this covenant of marriage with the Lamb. I mean, you know, to me it's just incredible when you think about the ramifications of the right to be able to use His name through our covenant right of marriage. We have authority in the name of Jesus to execute the business of the kingdom. He didn't turn the kingdom over to just ethnic Jews. He turned it over to a nation that would produce the fruit thereof, and that nation would be a holy nation, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood that would show forth the praises of Him who had called us out of darkness and into His marvelous light. And you know, uh, you know, uh, one of the things that, that let, let me just do this real quickly because I think I've got the time to do it, but in Ephesians, the fifth chapter is one of the powerful scriptures, I think, that kind of uh, confirms this when it talks about marriage uh, I believe we're going to need to go probably down around, let's see, verse number, uh, let's, let's go to verse number, <coughs> verse number 25. This is Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loves his wife loves himself. That to me, we have so misquoted this scripture. We, you will hear people almost every week say, uh, come on folks, we need to get this bride of Christ cleaned up because the Bible said Jesus is coming back for a church without spot, wrinkle, blemish, or any such thing. That's not what the Word of God says. We misquote it so much we think that's how it's written. But we say, that's not how it was written. It says that Christ loved us and gave Himself for us, that He might sanctify it, cleanse it with the washing of the water by the Word, that He might present it to Himself a church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that we should be holy without blemish. Jesus already gave himself for us, that he might wash us, first of all, in his blood, and then he would wash us with the washing of the water by the word. And these are the apostles and prophets that have been given in Ephesians 4 and 5 to prepare the church at that transition period from 30 A.D., 
to 70 AD. We were espoused at the cross. We'll come back and get that in just a little while. But we were married and consummated at the time when the old bride, the old harlot, the whore system was destroyed and burnt with fire. <coughs> that old city was burnt. Those old husbandmen lost the kingdom. They lost, they didn't come to the wedding. And all of a sudden now, this new bride is receiving what she was espoused to receive at the cross. I think it's incredible that in the garden 2,000 or 6,000 years ago, Adam's side was opened and a woman was taken from his side. On Calvary's cross, the spear of a Roman soldier opened the side of Jesus, blood and water spilled out. When the blood and water spilled from his side, it was enough blood and water to purge her of every spot, every wrinkle, every blemish or any such thing. It's the blood of Jesus that cleanses us. I'll talk about it more as we get on, but even when it says she hath made herself ready and it was given to her to be arrayed in white linen and the white linen was the righteousness of the saints. I'm telling you that righteousness was what was given to us as a free gift in the new covenant. We have received the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. I've already got my wedding garment on because the righteousness of God was given to me. He that knew no sin was made sin so that I could be made the righteousness of God. I've got on my white wedding garment. I've been purged. I've been cleansed. He didn't present it to the world not having any problems. He presented her to himself not having spot wrinkle, blemish, or any such thing. I could quote to you from the Song of Solomon when she says, Don't look at me. I'm as black as the curtains of Kedar. The sun has looked upon me. What she was saying is, is that I'm not palace material. I'm a working girl. I get in the field and the sun burns me. I'm a slave girl. And uh, he begins to elevate her consciousness. He says, You're not as black as the curtains of Kedar. Kedar was the second son of Ishmael. And Ishmael alludes to the dark side of our fallen nature. But in the new covenant, Jesus uh, comes along and having purged us from every spot, wrinkle, blemish. And then he says this in the Song of Solomon, and I believe it is in chapter 1. Thou art all fair, my love, my dove. There is no spot in thee. He has purged us from every spot, every wrinkle, every blemish, and presented us to himself not having spot, wrinkle, blemish. We are already married to him. Uh, I, I could further say that on the cross, the side of Jesus was open, blood and water was spilled so that a bride could be brought to him. I don't think it's an accident that when Jesus is on the cross, he sees his mother. His mother is weeping. If there's anything that would make you come down off the cross, it would be your mother weeping. And Jesus rears back trying to give his mother some kind of comfort in the moments of his death. And he says, woman, behold your son. He doesn't use a term of endearment. He doesn't call her mother. He doesn't call her mama. He calls her a prophetic term. He says, woman, behold the son. <coughs> Excuse me. What he's trying to do is shock her mind into an ancient prophecy that says the seed of a woman is going to bruise the head of a serpent. And what he's trying to say to her is, Mama, I'm the seed and you're the woman. And then he looks at John and he says to John, Behold your mother. And then he looks at his mother and he says to her, Behold your son. And he puts his mother into the care of John. A few moments later, he will rear back and cry out, Elo, Elo, Sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think it is highly possible that is what's happening here at the cross is he is leaving his father and his mother and he is cleaving to his bride at Calvary's tree. And there is a espousal and a preparation and an engagement party that's taking place at the covenant site where Jesus has now espoused his bride. And we'll show you the progression 
of the wedding ceremony, uh, perhaps in a later one, because they were a spouse, and it was like a period of engagement, and they would, uh, you know, uh, they would have a season then where they would go to prepare a place to bring the bride to, and then they would receive the bride to themselves. I believe that occurred in 70 A.D. when he destroyed one temple, and the Lamb and the Lord God Almighty began to be the temple. He gathers us into himself. This is the gathering of the saints, I believe, when he talks about he will send forth his angels with the great sound of a trumpet, and they'll gather together his elect from the four. That's the gathering that's taking place. But in this great and glorious um, uh, ceremony, this marriage that's taking place in Matthew chapter 22 of the king's son, the garment that this one comes in, he doesn't have on a wedding garment, is he does not have on the righteousness of the saints that's a product of a simple gift. Perhaps he came in with an old covenant garment of righteousness on his own filthy rags of performance and he's not accepted into this marriage based on that. But it tells you that during the marriage of this feast, he invites them in, saying the marriage is ready, the oxen has been killed, the fatted calf has been prepared, and they made light of it and, and you know, and treated him spi spiteful. Then the king was wroth and sent forth his armies, verse 7, and destroyed those murderers and burned them up, and burned up their city. That happened in 70 AD. He sent the armies and burned up their cities. I, you, you, <laughs> to me, it is incredibly uh, so connected. Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go therefore into the highways, as many as you'll find. Bid them to the marriage. So the servants went out to the highways, gathered all that as many were found, bad and good, and the wedding was furnished. So God began to reject them, and then he says, Go into the highways and the hedges, and compel them to come in. He not only invited Jews, but now he has invited Gentiles, publicans, harlots, sinners will enter the kingdom, he said to them, before you do. Because you must have on your wedding garment. It's not an accident that Revelation 19 says, Hallelujah, now has come salvation and the kingdom of our God. Because these folks that were invited have now been cast out. The bride has made herself ready through the hands of apostles that have helped to equip her and, and, and through the washing of the water by the word have purged her to present her to him. They were espoused at Calvary and they were about to consummate this relationship in 70 AD when a old Jerusalem was about to fade off the scene and a new Jerusalem was coming on the scene, a married bride, a spouse of the Lamb with authority to operate and function in the salvation that had now come, hallelujah, now has come salvation. Oh, we live in a great day. I'm about out of time. If you'll take a moment to write to us and sow seed into the ministry, it would help us greatly. If you'd like to call that number on the screen and give via credit card or debit card, you can do that. You can go to our website and do it if you'd like to do something like that. Please help us to continue to take the gospel of the kingdom around the world. Without you, it's impossible to do what we're doing, and we greatly and deeply appreciate you and your giving. Thank you. God bless you. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, this book provides true, biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.